0: When I was writing the book The Pleasures of God trying to discern what is it that delights the heart of God and of what use might that knowledge be to me and to us as we try to live in his presence this passage, Psalm 147 verses 10 and 11 became very, very precious to me Father, I pray that as we discern what pleases your heart, what gives you pleasure, we will find that it's, it's the best news in the world. For us people who are weak and sinful and don't feel like we can measure up to your high standards, thank you for what's in this text. Show it to us, I pray. Prepare our hearts for it. In Jesus' name, amen. His delight, God's delight, is not in the strength of the horse, nor his pleasure in the legs of a man, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. So first we see a negative Not in the strength of the horse, nor in the legs of a man, and then we see a positive. But he takes pleasure in those who fear him, those who hope in his steadfast love. It's always helpful to see these not-but clauses in the Bible. They're everywhere. And drawing out the implications of the contrast is always enriching to our souls. So let's focus for first on the, on the positive here. The Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. And the first thing that we see here is how jarring this is, at least to me it is. When I think that Uh, God is pleased by those who fear him. God is pleased by those who hope in him. Fearing and hoping don't easily fit together in my emotional framework. If I fear someone, I don't hope in him. (laughs) I hope in somebody else to save me from him. Ordinarily, fear in our life is something that makes us run away not makes us run to. And hope is something that makes us run to love, not run away. So the the big question that we face here is how these two can go together before we even see how the negative fits in. And I just want to mention here that when you discover tensions like this uh, in the Bible, don't don't blow them off, don't run away, don't gloss over them. Get ready for exciting discovery. I picture two, two trees or two bushes or whatever growing, and the two bushes or trees look very different and almost contrary to each other. And yet if you go down deep enough, you find a common root. And when you find that common root, you make a discovery that is so useful for life. So my approach here when I discover a tension like this is basically to get out my concordance, either the computer concordance or paper concordance, where it lists all the uses of the words of the Bible and where they're found in the Bible, and I start looking them up. So I start with fear here, and I start uh, looking in the concentric circles. I would first look at, are there any other uses of this word fear in Psalm 147? The answer is no, there aren't. Then I start looking in the in the rest of the Psalms, and then I start looking outside in other writings, and then prophets and so on, just to see is there something that will help me understand the nature of the fear of God and the nature of hoping in God that would show me how these two can fit so so well together. And I find things like someone. Psalm 25, 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. What a wonderful thing. I get God's friendship, and I'm in the covenant if I fear him, and then I see 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps, encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them, so I get deliverance, and I get God camping with me if I fear him, and uh, Psalm 103, 11, for as high as the heavens are above the earth. So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. So I get I get God's love, and that love is as high as the heavens. And I say, well, I, my conception of the fear of God has got to get adjusted here, doesn't it? Because I'm, I, I start with the reflex reaction that the fear of the Lord is being afraid of the Lord, and being afraid of the Lord would seem to exclude everything we just saw. And so I need to make some kind of adjustment here on the basis of texts because it sounds like the fear of the Lord is just totally wonderfully positive. It's just benefit, benefit, benefit. That would all cause emotions to rise in my heart that, that are the opposite of, of fear. But then I bump into a text like this: Isaiah 8:12. Do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be in dread of what they're in dread of, but the Lord of hosts. Him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. And I say, oh my goodness. So don't let the enemies be your dread. Let God be your dread. And I realize my initial effort to solve the problem was a little too quick. And I have to somehow stir in the fact that other places in the Bible portray the fear of the Lord as actually containing what it ordinarily contains, namely being afraid or dreading. But then then you get this. If you make the Lord your dread, he will become a sanctuary. (laughs) <laughs> if you dread him, if you dread him, you don't have to dread him. <laughs> if you dread him, he will be safe. He will be a safe place, a sanctuary. Now, when you find something like that in the Bible, you just scratch your head, but you don't you don't walk away. You say, "Okay, this is rich. There is something here I need to see," and here's here's. My attempt at uh, seeing what is here. When it says, Let the Lord be your dread and he'll be a sanctuary, it's like when my son Karsten uh, was told by a friend to run out uh, and get something in the car, and there was this big dog in the house, as tall as my son Karsten was at the time, he was about six years old. And uh, as he ran to the car, the dog growled and ran up behind him. It was terrifying. And my friend said, oh, Karsten, you might not want to run. Uh, Just walk, because the dog doesn't like it when you run away from him. He's very friendly if you just stay with him. And I thought when I saw that, that's it. That's it. Dreading, dreading God means dreading running away from God dreading the consequences of leaving God. And if you dread the consequences of leaving God, he becomes a sanctuary to you. So when I go back here to Psalm 147 and I read, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love, now I see that the idea seems to be something like this. Um... God loves it. He finds pleasure in those who look to him for their hope, their um, strength, their joy, their satisfaction, their protection when they look to his love. If they start looking away to other things, then they should be afraid of him and run back to him instead, and that's where I think the uh, connection with verse 10 becomes so significant. If we start hoping in our legs, either whether they're strong or whether they're pretty, if we start hoping in our, our horses and the strength, that would be our, our bombs and our tanks and our guns or our uh, security systems on our house, If we start hoping in our horses and our legs, then we need to be afraid and let our fear drive us back to hope in God's steadfast love. And that's important to see because the first time you read this, his delight is not in the strength of the horse or in his pleasure in the legs of a man, you say, but God created the horse, and God created legs. Why would he be displeased? Well, he's not. He's not displeased in the horse as a horse, or in legs as legs. He's displeased in the strength of the horse as a false hope for victory. He's displeased in the strength of legs as a false hope for victory. God takes pleasure. He takes pleasure in those who look away from all other things to him and he takes pleasure in those who are afraid of running away from him to horses and legs and lets that fear drive them to happy hope in him.